You have to be inquisitive, know what questions to have, understand that, you know, you are, you are responsible to do your due diligence. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Um, if you are a deal lead, if you're signing on a loan as a key principal, you need to understand what's going on at their property and be able to dig into the numbers and look and do your financial due diligence as well as visit the property. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Talee. Welcome to another episode of Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Talee, and my guest today is James Bryan. Welcome, James. Hey, Annette, how are you doing? I am doing wonderful. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, we were together in a mastermind last year. Yes. And so we got to know each other. I'm very excited for you to share one of your deals with us. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. All right, guys, let me tell you a little bit about James. Uh, he's a professional engineer, certified professional life coach, author, and a multifamily apartment investor. He empowers clients to transform problems into opportunities using the power of coaching combined with the insight he gained with over 20 years of experience in the public and private sector. James has invested in multifamily properties uh, through joint ventures and has an ownership stake in over 80 units across four different complexes in Richmond, Virginia and Greensboro, North Carolina. He focuses on workforce housing. He believes that mindset determines how you view the world, your life, and your circumstances. He believes that change starts with you, how you see the world, and how you choose to show up in life. Awesome. I like that. So, James, yes. tell me, how did you get into real estate? Well, you know, I got into real estate because one of my really good friends really got the itch. He, we talked all the time. He started doing some flipping. And so he would flip some projects. I wasn't involved in any of the flipping projects. I would look at it and think of it. Eh, I'm not sure how that's going to go. And then one day he came and he said, man, I really found this deal that we should do. Okay, well, let me see. And he put together, um, you know, a deal summary for a multifamily project. And that was a project here in Richmond, Virginia. And I then invested with him as he, we invested with others to uh, take on that project. It was a very small percentage stake in that project, maybe 5%. But after getting a taste of what the multifamily market had to offer, we decided to go full bore and begin to acquire units. And we focused on the Greensboro, North Carolina market. And so since 2017 is when we started, um, you know, in 18 and 19, we've continually acquired properties. We said now we have over four complexes, a little over 82 units uh, right now. And we're looking to continue to acquire more as it makes sense with the given circumstances that we have right now. Absolutely. So what was, what was the size of that first uh, uh, multifamily that you guys acquired? It was, uh, I think, a 23-unit uh, complex. I think the purchase price on that one was $1.6 I believe. I may have some of the details a little fuzzy 
on that one. It's been a few years and we weren't really serving as the deal lead on that project. Okay, so you got, so he went from flipping to 23 units. That's a big step. <laughs> yes, flipping to, to 23 units. And it, you know, it's an amazing story of how that project has unfolded. I think the project is really now starting to uh, fit uh, well, you know, in terms of starting to perform and to be leased and everything has been completed in terms of the rehabilitation. But that project was a bear. We basically had to take everything down to the studs in that one. So it was a full reposition. Wow. Awesome. The deal. So now let's go to the deal that you want to talk about today. Tell me about your deal. Uh, This deal was, it's in Greensboro, North Carolina. It was the first property that we acquired in that market. It is a 20 unit townhome style, all brick uh, complex. Uh, And, you know, basically we saw it, it's like right on the cusp in a C plus B minus area, but an A apartment is right behind it, you know, with a nice shopping center uh, on the block over. Mm-hmm. And so we saw it and actually we found it through mailers. We okay. sent mailers out. Send mailers out and you found it. Okay. Yes. We've sent, we sent mailers out. We got a response from the mailer and began to talk to that current owner about acquiring that property. And so the negotiations were started at that point. Wow. Amazing. It's uh what rate of return do you have on those mailers? Yeah, you know, I it, let's see. We sent out a bunch of mailers. We got a few responses. We closed uh, one deal. Okay, that was one time that you mailed. Yes. Okay, that's not bad for a one mailing to get like one a twenty three unit. You said this was a twenty uh, twenty unit. 20 unit deal. That's not bad at all, actually. For a no. Really good. All right. So what was the price, the initial price that was uh, that the owner wanted for the 20 unit? He wanted 880 initially. Mm-hmm. We eventually negotiated it down to uh, 840. Okay. Um, also, there were some other reductions that happened, but in terms of the purchase price, it was 840. Okay, how did you negotiate that? What um, points uh, led you to negotiate it down? Was it before the the inspection or after the inspections? Well, the interesting thing about, you know, multifamily projects is that the banks view the finances based on the business. And so you're basically looking at the net operating income. And so a lot of the valuation is based on how well the property is actually operating uh, the 12 months prior to when you're going to purchase it. And so a lot of the valuation methods that we use dealt with a really hard dive into the data, looking at what the owner provided and looking for the gaps at what the owner didn't provide and what was there and making sure that we were able to ask the right questions. Right. And was it an easy process or was it because sometimes, was it a mom and pop? Uh, yes, it, it was a mom and pop operator. Okay. So no, it was not an easy process. Because that sometimes they just, they feel the value is that and they are not willing to go down, right? Not only that, or they know that they have been invested into the property 
and they know that there are some hidden things that are going to come up and they want to do everything that they can to hide the data that shows that may lead you to find out what that thing is. <laughs> so you have to be very inquisitive and, and know what questions to ask, right? Yes. Yes. And, and you, you have to be inquisitive, know what questions to have, understand that, you know, you are, you are responsible to do your due diligence. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Um, if you are a deal lead, if you're signing on the loan as a key principal, you need to understand what's going on at their property and be able to dig into the numbers and look and do your financial due diligence as well as visit the property. Absolutely. At what point do you visit the property? Do you do it before you make an offer or do you do it after? When we visited the property first, kind of did a quick tour to kind of make sure that there were no visible issues that you can see when we were making the initial offer. Um, we knew that there, were going to be, there was going to be some wiggle room after the initial offer was made, but we, made, we, we felt comfortable making an offer based on what we thought we would be able to get the rents in that area. Awesome. So how much, um, how much difference was in rent versus what you were acquiring? Did you have a big gap where you could uh, increase rents? Yes, there was a gap. Um, the rents, when we acquired the property, I think the rents were about $500 a month. And we've actually been able to uh, outform our own analysis outperform our own analysis in the rents that we've been able to acquire in the renovated units. So the renovated units are now running for 685. Wow. That's pretty good. And I think at this, at this time in our analysis, we had 625 as being the number we were shooting for uh, at this time out from when we purchased it. Wow. So that's even better than you uh, anticipated. Yes. Now there were some other unanticipated issues that happened as they always do. Uh, but we're very pleased with that particular project. Awesome. All right. So, so did at this point were you already investing with the same partners, or did how did you uh, put put this deal together? How did you finance it? Well, you know, myself and my main partner with the Myers Development Group, we were part of the hub, so to speak, to invest, and then we began to acquire other partners that wanted to invest in a joint venture. And so we talked to our friends and our family and people that, within, that were within our network. And we were able to raise like $250,000 uh, for that deal. Wow, that's amazing because I think a lot of people um, don't realize that they can raise money from family and friends, people yes. close to them. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have a good deal and you know how to present it to other people. Um, you know, they might invest with you. So you got to start with your close people, right? With your family and your friends. The same way you started with your friend, right? Your friend brought you the deal and then you're like, oh, let me, let me try this. Yes, yes. Awesome. Okay, so in terms of the debt, how did you, uh, what type of terms, how did you find this, uh, what type of loan did you get? We've been very fortunate and we've been able to work with the community bank here in Virginia, actually. Um, and so even though the property is in North Carolina, because I've served as a key principal on the deal and I'm a resident here in Virginia, we were able to use that community bank and we got really favorable terms. I think it was something in the 4.5%. It was, a, I think, a seven-year seven year loan with a 25-year amortization. 
Okay, so that's pretty good. And what year was this? This was in 2018. 2018, okay. So you still have a few years um, with this loan and yes. the terms are awesome. Yeah, we have a few years with the loan. We, the terms are awesome. We've been using, we've used this lender on all of the large projects that, you know, that we've had and have a very good working relationship with the lender. Right. Do they require you certain numbers for the property, like uh, the, the debt to ratio? Uh, debt, the debt coverage service ratio? Yes, 1.5. 1.5. Oh, that's pretty high. Mm -hmm. 1.5. Well, here in South Florida, I, well, before the pandemic, I could get 1.25. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, they, they may require 1.25. I think we require when we're looking at deals. Right. If we're going to take it on to be at least 1.5. Right. That makes sense. Because yeah. we want to make sure that we have some cushion. Exactly. Yes. Especially right now, like reserves, you know, so important because nobody, you know, you can plan for a recession and you can plan for, you know, capital X, but like this type of situation, the pandemic, yeah. you, you know, you, you can't plan for everybody being out of work. Yeah. That was something that nobody could, you know, see coming, you know, it was just out of the blue and we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what's your plan? What's your exit strategy for this property? Well, now, you know, we've reached the point where we're at hundred uh, percent occupancy. And so we're, we still have some uh, units that we need to renovate, but we're at the point now, uh, if it wasn't for what's happening in the markets at this point, we would be at the point we were ready to refinance or even look to sell it if we can get the right offer. And so we've talked about that. We've had a, a few meetings with our partners and talked about what the next steps are going to be. You know, we've reached out to a couple of brokers to see um, if, you know, what kind of numbers we would be able to sell it for or what they think they would be able to get. And uh, we're still negotiating uh, with the brokers. But again, this was pre-COVID-19. Um, now we're in it and we don't know what things are going to look like on the other side of this. So we're very comfortable. If we have to hold that property, we'll be fine. Absolutely. You know, you, you had a plan of, uh, you know, you have a seven year loan, uh, your interest rate is great. So you, you have the, the ability to keep it for a longer time. And that's what I think everybody needs to aspire when you are buying a property, don't buy it with the numbers so tight that if anything happens, then you are not going to perform. Rest assured, something's going to happen. It's not if it's when. And it could be a different thing each time, but something is going to happen. Right. One way or the other. So on that note, you said that you had some unplanned things that happened with this property. Tell us about that. Well, you know, the first was, you know, we, we did go in and inspect every unit. We looked at every unit, but there, I think the physical occupancy at the time when we were going to buy it was about 70%. Um, so, but, but there were some units where they, they were vacant and we didn't have the utilities turned on in those units when we did the inspections, um, because all of the utilities are, are separately metered. Um, we didn't go through that extra step of having those utilities turned on. Well, that came back to bite us because there was one unit in particular 
the water was turned on. There was a big leak in the pipe upstairs. The water flowed downstairs. It, you know, ruined the floor. It just, we really had um, a large issue that we had to fix in that particular property that set us back. Uh, one of the other things that we, we saw is that the current owner, the former owner, was cannibalizing the uh, appliances from the units that were vacant. If something went wrong with uh, one of the, the properties that were leased, he would take the refrigerator or take the oven uh, from that unit and put it in the other unit. And we didn't account for that either. And so that, those were some of the issues that we found in terms of the physical due diligence process. But there's also the difference between physical vacancy and economic vacancy. And economic vacancy was much lower than the physical vacancy in terms of the people that were actually paying rents. And so we had to work through that issue once we acquired the property as well. Okay, so let, let's talk about that. So for the people that don't know, what's the difference? Well, obviously physical vacancies, people not there, but the economic vacancy, can you explain that? Yeah, well, you, if you think of it in terms of, you know, you can have the units 80% occupied, right? Let's say you have 10 units, eight of the units are occupied, but only five of the uh, units or people are paying rent. Mm. So, your, so your physical occupancy is 80%. Your economic occupancy is 50%. 50%. Right, the, that, and that matters. Yeah, but that should show in the on the T12, on the trailing, uh, the, the 12 months, right? Like who's paying? It should show on the 12 months, but then you have the issue of um, people that may, they're about to sell, they may enter into a lease agreement, you know, uh, right up into the time where you're about to acquire the property or you tell them not to do that anymore. Um, I think that some, that had happened to you in the past, I believe, uh, where the the former yeah. owner um, <laughs> had a lease yeah. and you and you got it. And you're like, what's going on? Yeah, so they had a person. That, well, I had two of those kind of. One was there was an empty unit and they were desperately trying to put somebody in there, and they put somebody. They did share with me the info. I didn't really like it but that mm -hmm. was the second application they sent and they were really pushing for it and they didn't want to miss a month's rent. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, they turned out to be okay paying rents, but they are smokers and they smoke oh. inside and there is no provisions on their lease that they cannot smoke inside. Okay. The apartment is basically ruined and they had only, I, I actually asked them to do only a six month lease so I could, you know, remove them. Mm -hmm if I didn't like them, right? Because I didn't know them. And, but then, you know, once I realized that the apartment is ruined, you know, I don't want to spend the money completely redoing <laughs> the apartment right now. So yes. I decided I'm just going to wait until they decide to leave. And when they decide to leave, because they, they, are, they, could, they are good payers, they pay. Yeah. So that's, you know, the other one was that they had this lease that was ending right when I was taking possession of the property. Mm -hmm. So we, we had a few of those. We had to get people you know, back in and do the month to month lease. So we, I mean, we, we were, we had some recourse, but it was just the, the, you always have to look and do your investigation to make sure that the physical occupancy and economic occupancy are matching up. 
Absolutely. And then you have, you know, the ones that they, they tell you they have a lease, but then when you review all the paperwork, it's like a two-year lease with a super low rate. And yes. then you realize you can raise rents on those units, right? So then yes. you have to wait. And so that, that's all part of that due diligence process to make sure that you're looking at the paperwork or you have someone on your team that's going to diligently be looking at the paperwork, looking at the utilities, uh, making sure that, you know, those things that are supposed to be covered by the owner is covered by the owner and those things that are supposed to be covered by the resident are indeed covered by the resident. Um, so we, you know, we, we had to work through those issues. Um, another issue that we had is that it was really an epiphany for me when we did the um, inspection and we're on site and, you know, we're talking to the residents and the first, the residents are a little reluctant to share what's going on. But then as you continue to be around and you talk to them more, they start telling you some of the deferred maintenance type issues, like all of the windows being painted shut. You can't raise any of the windows, which is going to be an issue, you know, particularly in the summertime, you have, you know, elderly people that are there that, you know, you really, that, need air and all the other issues. And so we began to find out about that. And then we went to one unit and it was absolutely atrocious. It broke my heart. There was a young lady, she had, um, you know, a, a child in her arms and two other children kind of on her hip. And the, we go in there and the sink was all just piled up with dirty water because the faucet was clogged up. And so the only way that they could undo that was they would take a bucket or a pan and take that water and dump it outside in the backyard. Oh my um, God. And then there you, you could see water damage coming from a leak from the bathroom upstairs down in the kitchen. And basically the kitchen was, it, it looked like uninhabitable to me. And, you know, I looked at my partner and I said, we, you know, as owners, we have a responsibility to provide a decent place, a livable place for people to live. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a slumlord. We need to make sure that we don't do this. This is not who we are. And it really broke my heart. And it, it also reinforced the whole mantra that I had, even when or still have when we were uh, in the mastermind, which is basically five years, 500 units, 500 lives. So in five years, I wanted to acquire 500 units so that I can impact the lives of over 500 families in a positive way. Because we're all about providing a really decent place for people to live um, that, you know, it's, it, they're market rents, but they're going to be affordable. Um, and it's, we're going to clean up the area. We're absolutely going to clean up the area where we, we are not slumlords. And so we pride ourselves on that. That's awesome. You know, when I see things like that, and I think, um, you know, they don't want to complain because they don't, you know, they don't want to be kicked out. Yep. So they are just like, you know, living like that. And, you know, I love what you share about the tenants because that's what I do. You know, when I go to inspections, I just like start talking or even when I just go to look at the place, you know, for the first time, it's not even like an inspection, but they are, you know, showing and it's like, so I start talking to them and like, so, you know, any problems with the place? Like, what do you think about it? Anything that we need to fix? And mm -hmm. they start spilling the beans. I mean, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's like, yep. oh yeah, you know, the toilet wasn't working, but that's fine. They just came again to, to pump the, the septic system. 
oh, how many times do they pump the, the septic system? Oh, they do it once a month. I'm like, oh. Let you know that there are problems. There is a problem, of course. So it's always, that's a great tip to all yep. talk, be very respectful and very thankful to them for letting you in their apartment, you know, because some people don't, don't want to get strangers in their apartment. So if you are just super thankful and, and, you know, friendly, they will share with you all this information that the owner doesn't want you to know. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yes. All right. So how does your partnership work? You said that you have your main partner, but then you acquire other partners, other partners per project. Yes. Is that what you do? Yes, that is correct. So, so what, what do you do in the partnership? Oh, man. Well, I mean, it depends on the project in terms of whatever's done. Typically what happens is that uh, Jerome Myers of the Myers Development Group, he does most of the legwork in identifying the property um, and, you know, getting the information from the owner. Uh, then he does his underwriting process. I do my own separate underwriting process. And then we try to meet on a price um, because I'm much more conservative than he is. I'm the one that wants to make sure that we have a whole bunch of reserves and that we can't pay this much money for it. It's crazy. We won't be able to make you know our money. But if we based everything on my price, I don't think we would have ever acquired any deal because I would have always been too low <laughs> for um but you have acquire. that balance, right? You have yes. that balance of one of you, one of you being more aggressive and one being more conservative. Yes. And so what we do is we talk, we talk through, we look at those numbers and wherever there's a difference, we talk through the rationale as to why we think our number is right. And then we begin to understand the other side of that coin and say, okay, well, we can meet somewhere in the middle or we're, I think you're being a little bit too aggressive on so how you can push the rents. And we, we come to an agreement and settle as to what that offer price is going to be. And then we both work through our network of family and friends to find additional partners to join the deal. Uh, once, you know, we each deal has its own separate LLC. And, you know, the, just that's just the way that each one is worked through. We have the, the ownership percentage within that LLC is based on the amount of capital or equity that you bring into the deal. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's awesome. All right. So what numbers do you use for your underwriting? Like, you know, what do you use for reserve or CapEx, you know, vacancy when you do underwriting? Does it change by the project or do you have kind of like your numbers? It changes by the project. Um, you know, depending on when we did the project, how, how the, 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 age of the units or the built of the property mm. and so some things change based on what we see in the inspection or what we see before the inspection when we do our drive-through mm -hmm. um uh, you know what it looks like there's some drainage issues going on there the roof looks bad you know i can see that there's roof damage now we're gonna have to incorporate something for that even either on the reserve side for capex or on the price side um as a takedown from that purchase price Absolutely. Yeah, the roofs here in Florida, at least, that's one of the main things for me. I always mm -hmm. check the roofs. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I saw you in a video or something up on the, uh, up on the roof one day, right? Yes, I was replacing a roof. <laughs> yeah. That video got a lot of traction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got all kinds of comments. 
positive and negative. Oh. <laughs> it's like, get off the roof. What are you doing on the roof? You're checking your investment. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm making sure that they are in installing it as they are supposed to do it. Yep. Yep. Expert tips. All right. So now um, you wanted to share with me three expert tips. What do you want to uh, talk about? Well, for me, it's, you know, all the tips are in the same area, due diligence, due diligence, and due diligence. You absolutely have to do your due diligence on these projects. Absolutely. absolutely. You cannot take what the broker tells you. and You can't take even what the owner tells you as being, you know, the standard, this is correct. You have to dig into the data and look. So you have to be able to look at the utilities. Um, you have to be able to uh, look at, the rent rolls. And so if they, you know, you'll run into a situation and we've looked at projects that are like this, that the current rents are, you know, $550, but the market rents are $800. And so you should base your price off of the $800 in the market rent that you can get. And so my question always is, if the, if I can get 800, why aren't you getting 800? It doesn't make sense to leave that much on the table. Um, to not go after it. And so this is really making sure that you pay close attention to detail to those numbers. Um, I would say that's part of that due diligence. Uh, part of that financial due diligence is also making sure that you have a counterbalance or a way to talk through your position on what your prices are, on what your, your estimates are, to make sure that it's solid. It, there's no you know talking through it with someone like I have with Jerome, I'm much more conservative. He's much more um, aggressive in terms of pushing the rents and moving the project forward. And we meet at, find a good place in the middle. Uh, and then the other is the uh, economic occupancy and the difference between physical occupancy. Always make sure that the economic occupancy is what it's supposed to be. Absolutely, that's so important. <laughs> I learned the hard way. <laughs> Awesome. All right, James, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Uh, tell uh, my listeners, where can they find you? You can find me at betteryouforyou.com. Uh, and so that's the best place to reach me. You can get me on Facebook at, at betteryouforyou. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram, uh, the same thing, betteryouforyou. All right. You know what? Let tell me about better you for you. I'm looking at the logo and I want everybody to know what is it. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, the logo is better you for you, and that change starts here. So really, change starts with you. Uh, there's a lot of external factors that can cause us to change, but a lot of the lasting changes that we have in life start with us. And so when we begin to take ownership of our lives and the results that we want in our lives then you understand you can begin to change. And so the logo is a person looking in the mirror. And really we walk, we walk people through these processes that we call mirror moments, where you look at yourself for who you are, not who you project to be. And you, know, you gotta get that is not who you project, but what you're reflecting. Um, so we can project to be um, you know, something that we're not but who are you when nobody's looking? And you have to learn how to see yourself for who you are and accept yourself and love yourself and say, it's okay, this is me and this is okay. Then at that point, you have a foundation where you can move forward 
for any enhancements that you want to do, anything that you want to evolve from, you understand where you're coming from and you can begin to evolve into who you want to be. Awesome. All right, guys. So if you want to, you know, to help getting better and be you, you know, call James. Yes, please call me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, so much for adding so much value today. All right. Thanks a lot, Annette. Awesome. This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Tali, brought to you by Tali Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.